the voyageurs who were his father's ancestors. For five years, Le Père worked the oar boat plying the waters of the Great Lakes, and for five years, things seemed fine. Then one morning, Billy found their mother floating in the cold water of Purgatory Cove. Whether she'd got there by accident or by choice was never determined, but Billy took it hard. Although her death released her youngest son in one way, it bound him in others, to grief and guilt and remorse. When Le Père saw Billy sliding toward the darkness that had swallowed their mother, he invited him aboard the Alfred M. Teasdale for the last passage of the season, a run from Buffalo to Duluth. He hoped the open water and the slow crawl under a late fall sky would bring Billy around. The Teasdale entered Lake Superior via the locks at Sault Ste. Marie under clear skies. Since leaving Buffalo, the great oar boat had encountered only good weather. This was rare for November on the Great Lakes, and John LaPere, as he went about his duties as a mate, watched the horizon carefully. The Teasdale, oldest of the boats in the Fitzgerald Shipping Company's oar fleet, was carrying her final cargo. Once she'd been unloaded in Duluth, the crew would sail her back to Detroit to be cut into scrap. Le Père, whose responsibility it was to monitor the holds for leakage, knew the end was long overdue. On the afternoon of November 16th, the Teasdale rounded the Keweenaw Peninsula, that iron-rich finger of the upper peninsula of Michigan. She was making twelve knots against a mild headwind. Within an hour, the barometer began to plunge and the wind to rise. Dark came early, hastened by a bank of charcoal-colored clouds that seemed to materialize out of the lake itself and that quickly ate the sky. The temperature dropped twenty degrees. Bow spray began to freeze on the railings, and the decks were awash in icy slush. Captain Gus Hawley came to the pilot house to confer with Art Bodecker, the wheelsman. In her long service, the Teasdale had weathered many Great Lakes gales, and Hawley, captain during the last fifteen years of that service, wasn't greatly concerned. They were less than ten hours out of Duluth, and Bodecker was the best wheelsman in the fleet. Captain Hawley gave the order to proceed on course, and he returned to his cabin. At eight bells, John LaPere completed his watch in the pilot house with Bodecker and first mate Orrin Grange. Billy was there, too, taking in the talk of the men, getting a lesson from Bodecker on guiding the huge boat through rough seas. The bow leaped and plummeted, disappearing for long moments under twelve-foot waves. Along with the bow spray, snow spattered the windows of the pilot house, making it difficult to see anything. LePere could tell his brother was scared. He himself had never been through a storm as bad as this, but the other two men were old hands. They'd seen plenty of rough seas. If they were concerned at all, they didn't show it. As he left his watch, LePere offered to go down to the galley and bring back coffee for them all. The cold November wind tore at LePere as soon as he stepped outside. He shielded his eyes with his hand and looked aft. 
The Teasdale was 603 feet from bow to stern. She was carrying a partial cargo, 221 tons of bituminous coal. On a calm day, she was a sight moving across the water, a mammoth creature of ungainly grace, ruler of her domain. As he watched the huge waves slam against her sides and flood her deck, Lepere knew her greatness was an illusion. After he'd made coffee in the galley, he timed his return up the ladder to the pilot house so that he wouldn't be soaked by the spray of the breaking waves. Even so, water hit him in the face, but it wasn't the cold spray of the lake. He realized with alarm that the wind was so strong it created a vacuum as it passed over the spout of the pot and was sucking the hot coffee out. In the pilot house, the men were laughing.